Dominic, Dominic, Dominic. Highly contested. T3 on the track. The Texas high. Highly contested. It's getting wild. Highly contested. If you wanna talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts, show the stats. Act like radios are off. The Texas high. Highly contested. It's getting wild. Highly contested. If you wanna talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts, show the stats. Hello and welcome to Highly Contested. This podcast covers some of the hottest topics in the world of football and basketball, where our crew gives our highly contested takes on these topics and supports our takes with facts. I'm Andrew and I'm here with George and Joe today. George, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good, you know. Just got to watch that exciting Seahawks-Cardinals game. What a thriller. Uh, How are you guys doing today? I'm doing doing, pretty good. I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. Awesome, Joe. Uh, <clears throat> I'm doing pretty good, too. Yeah, we just finished watching that Seattle-Arizona game, and let me tell you, man, I think I think some of us actually did call that Arizona would win that game, but let me tell you, man, it was a battle for sure. Yeah, Eric called it. All right. So some of our featured topics include what team would Kawhi go to if he leaves the Los Angeles Clippers in 2021? What did Baker's topsy-turvy performance tell you about him as a player? And did the Las Vegas Raiders right guard Gabe Jackson deserve his ejection versus the Buccaneers? Let's dive headfirst into it here on Highly Contested. Let's start with the NBA. In the summer of 2019, Kawhi Leonard chose to sign a three-year contract with a player option for him to opt out in two years if he pleases Rumors are now spreading that the Clippers star forward possi- uh, about the Clippers star forward possibly opting out in the summer of 2021. So, George, is Kawhi going to opt out? And if so, what team would Kawhi go to if he does leave the Los Angeles Clippers in 2021? Yeah, I'm not too sure if he will leave. Obviously, this is still a whole other year that we'd have to wait for that to happen. So, who knows if the Clippers implode again this season? then I'm sure it is a possibility that he could leave. The team that I would pick him to go to, and uh, this is just going by how this team has performed so far also, I'd send him, if I'm him, I'm going back to the East, and the team that I'm picking in the East is the team that has beautiful weather, beautiful women, and they just went to the finals. That is the Miami Heat. So when I look at this Miami Heat team, you know, they're they're well built all around from top to bottom, from management, ownership, down to, you know, the last man on the roster. And, you know, I love me some Jimmy Buckets, but, you know, he he isn't an elite player, as in a top five player. And we saw that was kind of the difference maker when they did play the Los Angeles Lakers was the Lakers had two of them. You know, they had LeBron James, they had Anthony Davis, two top five players. And you add Kawhi Leonard in that mix, and that's a whole different ballgame. We're talking about a team that has that grit, has that work ethic, you know, does whatever it takes to win, unselfish. You know, whoever has to do it will do it any given night. There's no egos. So I think Kawhi Leonard would actually be a good fit there, you know, straight to work. You know, he's a quiet type of guy. Go to work, 
you know, all about winning, and that's what the Miami Heat's about. So if he were to leave, I think that would be a good fit for him. I'm interested to see, Joe, What where do you think would be a good fit if he did decide to leave? Well, honestly, I wrote that he he isn't going to leave because I really can't see him anywhere else. Maybe like you said, the Heat, but I really can't see him lean – leaving the Clippers because now they got their new head coach. I think their new head coach is Tyronn Lue. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And like like I said, I mean, I don't really see him leaving either unless they just completely implode again. Yeah, but the reason why I'm saying he's staying in with the Clippers because of Tyronn Lue and because Tyronn Lue doesn't have a spine as a head coach and that uh, Kawhi Leonard could just control this team like how LeBron did when Tyronn Lue was the – head coach of the Clippers, I'm oh, not the Clippers, the uh, Cavaliers. So this might be the same type of situation where Kawhi take, could take control of this team and tell the front office or the GM who he wants on this team and who he wants as a, um, either if he doesn't really like Tyron Lou, they could change him out real quick or change some of the staff. But I think that's the main reason why he's going to stay. Yeah, uh, Joe, real quick, do you think he was doing that already, or do you think that's something that he will be doing? Now, that's something he will be doing because Doc Rivers is a hard-headed coach, and he wouldn't let that fly. But now that, now that they have Tyron Lue, he, like I said, he has no spine as a head coach, and he'll let anything go. Yeah, see, I, I think that he was doing that already with the Clippers. I think that's why they did get rid of Doc. Because we saw, you know, the first thing he did when he got there was basically demand Paul George to be his teammate. And what did they do? They went out and traded for him. You know, he also demanded load management, times to rest, and they gave it to him. And we saw that that rubbed a lot of the guys the wrong way. So I, I think he was doing that already. And I think that's a reason why, you know, Ty Lue is now the head coach is because He's had to manage egos and superstars before and had success. But, Andrew, what's your opinion on this? Do you think he's leaving? or And also, if he does, what team do you think he's going to? First of all, I'm just going to say this right now. George, I disagree with you 100%. The Heat is not a good place for him. And I'm going to tell you why. First reason is load management, like you just said. You know that he is that type of guy. He's going to want that load management. This Heat team does not want that kind of mentality on their team. They don't. You know it, and I know it. They don't. I don't know it, man. Uh, you know, I not to cut you off too bad right now, but just a little quick. You know, we, we saw when he tried it with the Raptors, and it worked. And I think because it worked with the Raptors, he said, let me try it again with the Clippers. And he saw that it didn't work again. You know, it didn't work with the Clippers. So I think now he's going to realize that, hey, you know, I got to be there. And also with the Clippers team, because it did rub a lot of people the wrong way. And, you know, there's a lot of dogs on that team, too. So I'm sure a lot of them voiced their opinions. So I think they made it clear, like, hey, you know, we need you committed. We need you out here to win games and to build that team chemistry. So it'll be interesting to see if he continues to load manage as much i don't think it'll be as much it might be here and there but we'll have to wait and see but so i i don't think moving forward he's doing that too much but i'll let you carry on drew 
Well, to address your point first, you talked about how load management worked in Toronto. I want you to be 100% honest with me right now. Do you think that, do you truly believe that the Raptors are winning that finals if KD and Clay are healthy? Um, If they're both healthy, I don't think they win, but I don't think it's like a sweep or anything of that sort. I still think it's a good series, maybe six, seven games. But, you know, we can't just play that what if game because, I mean, they, they ended up winning. So we got to give them their props and it worked. You know, they were able to still succeed in the regular season without them. Even if we don't look at the playoffs, they were still a good seed and, you know, ended up working out for them, you know, at the end of the day. Right. But the whole point, the whole premise to that is the question. The question was, do you believe, do you truly believe that they would win? And the answer is no. So it's not necessarily a matter of load management work. It's just a matter of they ran into a very, very injury riddled team with a lot of their superstars being injured. So okay. well, a quick, uh, a quick counter to that though, is, you know, because he did, or because Kawhi load managed, he was able to be healthy versus, you know, a banged up Warriors team. Maybe if they would load manage, maybe they're healthier in that moment. So, I mean, the argument can be made either way. At the end of the day, though, it did work out for him because he did win a championship. So no matter how you want to slice the cake, it did work for him. You know, what? there's obviously all these variables we could throw in, like what ifs, but the final results, it worked. Here's why I say this, though. Context matters. And you can't just, you can't just say, oh, yeah, load management worked. You have to put a lot of things into context because – we saw that load management worked in Toronto because of the fact that he went to the finals and faced a very injured Warriors team. But when he did the load management this year, it did not work. So we're going to we're going to wait and see. Maybe he does do the load management again this year and we'll see. But in my opinion, I think that it's not it wasn't more of a load management worked out for him when he won that championship versus Toronto. I think it was more him going up against an injury real team. And the reason why I'm saying that is because when you when you look at Kawhi Leonard, he is not a closer. We saw that multiple times this playoffs, uh, this playoffs and a few times during the regular season too. In big games, he's not that closer. He's not going to win you a game. He's not going to close out a game for you. And when you take into consideration all that, and the fact that he is a he he likes to load manage, I just don't think that he's the right fit for that Heat team. And I'm gonna say this also, George, because I know you talked about Jimmy, you talked about he's not a star. I don't like the way you're putting some disrespect on my boy Jimmy's name because no, of the fact. Because of the fact star, Drew. Because of the fact that Jimmy definitely played a lot better in those games than Kawhi did in his playoff games. And Jimmy definitely closed those games out a lot better than Kawhi did for his team. So you you want to tell me that Kawhi is the better player? To be honest, Jimmy played a lot better when it counted. And that's all that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I, I never said he wasn't a star. I said he wasn't a top five player. And sh- Kawhi, Kawhi is a top five player. And... You know, if you're going to go out there and say that you don't think Kawhi is a closer, then who who do you always praise as one of the better closers in the league? I'll give you a hint. Jimmy Butler. Right? 
Exactly. So that would be a perfect mesh, wouldn't you say? Someone who is a top five player who you say isn't a great closer, which is debatable, but that's that's what you're saying. You pair him up with someone who's also a star, but is great at closing. Wouldn't that be a great mesh? I don't think so. And the reason why is because when you look at all those Heat players, you can tell that they all have that drive to win. And you can see that they follow they follow Jimmy's will, his his drive to win just as much as Jimmy's will is. And Kawhi doesn't really show me that, honestly. Kawhi doesn't really sh- – maybe he does, but he doesn't show me that. And he definitely didn't showcase that when he lost the finals series versus the Nuggets. He seemed very – he seemed very uh, – he seemed like he had a very much of a lack of empathy for losing. It didn't seem like – it didn't seem like it was a big deal to him. And me personally, I don't believe that – I definitely don't believe that any of those Heat players showed that kind of behavior when they lost versus the Lakers. I know that that broke their hearts that they lost. Even though they probably figured that they were going to lose that series, it still broke their hearts because they wanted it. That's the kind of player that that Heat team wants. But I'm going to give you the team that I think would be a good fit for the for Kawhi. I feel like he would be a good team. He would go to a team that is ready to be good, but is just showing people that they can be deadly. And I'm thinking that that team would be the Phoenix Suns. I think this team with Kawhi could and would win a championship. He would fit right in their team considering it's not a big-time team or a team with crazy expectations. He wouldn't be pressured by media to be the quote-unquote king of Phoenix in reference to his you know king of LA commercials and branding. And he has a killer in Devin Booker on his team that can and will make that game-winning shot. Like I was mentioning, Kawhi really isn't clutch or a closer. He made one game-winning shot when he was in Toronto, and it took four bounces to go in. He showed us multiple times this season that he had trouble closing a game late. With a guy like Kevin Booker, oh, sorry, Devin Booker on his team, he wouldn't have to worry about closing. Devin Booker is a cold assassin, and he would definitely close out those games. That's why I think the Phoenix Suns would be the team he should go to, and if I were him, that's the team I would go to. Yeah, Joe, so me and Drew had a lot to say about all that. I'm curious to know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you you guys guys had uh, a heated conversation, which was a lot to hear. But I kind of agree with what Drew said about Jimmy Butler. and But I'm still going to say, with all that, he, he no matter what, he's going to stay with the Clippers. But... I was thinking while you guys were talking, maybe if there was an actual team that he would go to. And I'm just spitballing here, but I know there's a team in the East Coast with a light shine brighter at night, the New York Knicks. But I don't know if they could afford him, and I don't know if Kawhi Leonard would like James Dolan as an owner. It's interesting that you say the Knicks, Joe. Um, why do you think Kawhi would be a good fit there? Because he wants to uh, be in a um, in a big city, big market, and what's also what's also big like L.A. and New York City. So that's where the lights shine bright in Madison Square Garden, and I think he'll play good there with the young core team that they have. 
they just need a few pieces. And I think, I think Kawhi could be one of those pieces that could be there. But like I said, I don't know if Kawhi would like to work with a James Dolan owner. Yeah, we'll just have to see. We're going to switch it to the NFL now. Baker Mayfield and the Browns went up against Joe Burrow and the Bengals in their second matchup this season. Mayfield started the game ice cold throwing the football, but he would heat up and light it up as the game progressed, leading to a 37-34 victory over the Bengals. So, George, what did Baker's topsy-turvy performance tell you about the young quarterback as a player? Uh, It tells me... You know, it shows us, I think, what we already know, which is he's inconsistent. So against, you know, teams that are over 500, he usually plays very poorly. And then teams that are under 500, he plays very well. So this is what we've seen. This is what we've known of him in the NFL. And, you know, when, when he started off this game, you know, I was talking to you guys in our group chat and I was saying, you know, that. Basically, Baker Mayfield was bad. And then he goes out there and has the performance that he had throwing five touchdowns. And basically attempted for me to eat crow. But like I said, you know, this is who he is. He's inconsistent against good teams. He's going to do bad against bad teams. He's going to do well. And, you know, Baker, he threw, you know, when he started the game, he threw five incomplete passes including the interception they he targeted Odell on which is the pass or the play that Odell ended up getting hurt from which was a very bad throw that was underthrown where Odell basically had to slow down turn around watch it get intercepted try to make a play on defense because now Odell's playing defense then ends up getting hurt on the play which should have never happened could have been you know a nice little lob over the top for Odell, but it's not what happened. But, you know, he ended the game with a game-winning drive with 106 remaining in the fourth quarter and closed out this game. So, you know, how are they going to do moving forward? That's the big question for me because, I like I've already said, you know, bad teams, he'll, he'll play well and he'll show. And the fact that he is so inconsistent with the weapons that they have on this roster – I, I don't see him being the long-term answer for this franchise. I don't see him the, as the franchise saver. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts on this Baker Mayfield performance? Yeah, I totally agree with you. This ain't the Browns' long-term QB. Baker from Mayfield still showed that he's unreliable and inconsistent at the QB spot. Y'all can say that he still won and still got five TDs and 297 yards. But that's against a struggling Bengals defense. And we know the Bengals defense is, is not good. If he started like how he did in this game against a better team, they will be dominated. Oh, wait. He did against the Steelers. And look what happened. They got crushed. So this, this is proving my point. He's inconsistent and unreliable. And I, the Browns should, when his contract is up, they should look to part ways. So this, his performance showed me two things. One is negative and one is positive. So I'm going to start off with the negative first before going to the positive. The first thing is you guys are talking about it. You hit the nail on the head. It shows inconsistency. 
as mentioned, the man was ice cold as if, you know, he never even warmed up throwing the football before the game started. He was 0 of 5 to start with one interception. And as a fan, I think it's concerning because the only reason they stayed in the game was because the Bengals offense were playing just as poorly. They had two turnovers in their first three drives. So they were with the Browns as far as how terribly they were playing. And I think some credit goes to the Browns defense for committing those two turnovers. The Browns defense, I think, kept the offense in the game until the offense started lighting it up. But like I said, this this allowed the Browns defense to make Burrow uncomfortable and force two turnovers early. But here's the thing. Once Baker got hot, he caught fire, which brings me to my second thing. This man has resilience. He has a terrible start going 0-5 and, you know, people are calling him a bust and saying he's trash. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just us here in our group chat. It was people all over social media, Twitter, whatever. But then he goes and completes every pass he throws after that. His one incompletion after going 0-5, his only incompletion was a spiked ball on their final drive right before Baker throws the game-winning touchdown on a deep pass. He clearly demonstrates resilience like he has something to prove when there's doubt, but it's still unknown for me whether or not he can lead a team when stakes are high. I'm seeing flashes of Brett Favre, but the difference is Brett Favre showed us he could do it when it counted. And that's kind of what I want to see next from Baker before I can call him a franchise quarterback. So far, he hasn't showed us that he can do it when it counted, when it counts. But I feel like if he can start showing us that sort of thing, then we can call him a franchise quarterback. Right now, I can't call him a franchise quarterback. Yeah, I think the only thing him and Brett Favre have in common is you know, the interceptions or turnovers. I don't see any other comparableness from those two. Well, the reason why I kind of compare to Brett Favre is because he, he shows that resilience that Brett Favre has, and he shows that inconsistency that Brett Favre showed because Brett Favre was that kind of a player. He was, you know, he was a gunslinger, but he would throw some of those interceptions, but the difference was is that Brett Favre could show that hard resilience when it counted and still come back and win some of those games. And that's why I'm saying that I see flashes of Brett Favre, but Brett Favre did it in some of the bigger stages that we've ever seen in the NFL. And so that's what I want to see next from Baker before I can call him a franchise quarterback. Cause as of right now, all he showed us is that he can do it versus these below 500 teams. But can you do it versus the you know the Ravens or the Steelers you know like like we're like Joe what you were saying you know what I mean can you do it versus those teams your your big brothers in your division because if you can't do it against those guys those guys then you can't call yourself a franchise quarterback. So long term, do you see him being able to do what you're hoping you can see from him or or not? I don't see it honestly. I'd love for him to prove me wrong because I think the city of Cleveland needs this more than, more than anything. Those, those poor fans. Um, but I don't, I don't see it from him, honestly. Yeah. Especially when it comes to quarterbacks, the Browns have been through their fair share. All right. So 
Joe, did you have anything else to say before we go ahead and move on? Nah, I made my rant. He he's not their future, and he's more of a backup. If he wants to stay playing the Browns, he could be backup. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll have to talk about whether or not the Browns stick with him as we get closer to next year's draft. All right. Keeping it in the NFL, the Las Vegas Raiders played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday. With 4-18 left in the third quarter, the Raiders scored a touchdown off a one-yard pass from Derek Carr. After the touchdown, there would be a scuffle, and Raiders right guard Gabe Jackson was ejected according to the officials, for stepping on an opponent right on his shoulder while he was on the ground. That is quote-unquote. So, George, did Gabe Jackson deserve his ejection versus the Buccaneers? Oh, man, this is a, a, this will be a good question. And I'm going to actually divert this one to Joe first, as he is the Raiders fan out of us three. So, Joe, would you do us the honors? Agrees, Joe deserves it. All right. I'm going to keep it short and simple. That ejection was unnecessary and ridiculous and should not have happened. I don't know what the ref saw, but as you can see in that replay, he looks like he like just pushed him a little bit. A little nice push. It's football. Push. He did not step on any body part. I don't know what they saw. They need to look at that replay closer because – and if he gets fined for this, he needs to appeal it because it's ridiculous of what happened. Yeah, it was definitely a, a crazy sequence that, you know, didn't help him because they were already shorthanded, especially when it came to that O-line. And, you know, it showed in this game. You know, Josh Jacobs was having a hard time running. They were, they were getting at the quarterback. So it didn't help. And that's just one of those things, you know, where it's like, the second man always gets caught. So he, you know, wanted to do that little push, shove, you know, whatever you want to call it at the end there. And he was the one that got caught for it, ended up, you know, getting uh, suspended from that game. So definitely hurt them, not in a good way. And yeah, Drew, what are your thoughts? Well, the irony is, too, that, and Joe, I don't know if you saw this or not, but the irony, too, is Ndamukong Sue actually grabs him by his, by the collar of his jersey from behind and pulls him. I don't, did you see that, Joe? Yeah, I saw that. That right there should have been a personal foul, too. Not maybe That's not due for an ejection, but that's definitely a personal foul, unnecessary roughness huh? right there. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that's definitely with intent, you know? I don't, I mean, we we know that Ndamukong Sue can be somewhat of a dirty player. I don't know if that was necessarily malicious. Could have been, considering his history. But it was definitely with intent. He grabbed him and uh, basically threw him down by his, by the collar of his jersey, which we call that, I know, I know we, I know that it's in, you know, full full game speed but we call that a foul in football you know what i mean for a reason so it's interesting that nothing happened with that situation now to answer this question the thing is i've seen the refs eject players for minor stuff this happened to my jaguars in week three versus the dolphins while the game was still a game one of the jaguars offensive linemen got ejected for swiping at a ref's hand 
when he was clearly swiping at any hand that came in, regardless of who it was, whether it was a player or a ref. And as a referee, I feel like you can't overreact and do something as, as extreme as ejecting a player for minor things like that. Yeah, I'm sure that that's what it says according to the rule book that they've got to eject a player for certain things. Um, in this case, they ejected Gabe Jackson for stepping on a player's shoulder. I think that the rule is in place for players who do something with, you know, with intent or even with malicious intent, you know, from looking at the video, it didn't seem like he was doing it with malicious intent. Didn't seem like he intentionally did it at all. It seemed more of an accident than anything. I definitely don't think he deserved the ejection given the context and what I saw from the video. I would like to know what your guys' thoughts are. It, for me, it didn't seem intentional. For me, it, it seemed accidental, if anything. Yeah, I'm right with you on this one, Drew. I, I think maybe a flag would have been warranted. You know, maybe uh, I don't know what the yardage would have been for a play like that if it was a flag. But an ejection from the game, I think, was just, you know, unnecessary. A little too far, a little too extreme. And, you know, I, I don't know what was going on before that. But an ejection to me, I'm with you too, just was a little extra. I think a flag would have been okay, you know, if that. But like Joe said too, you know, this is football. You're going to get a little aggressive. You're going to get a little pushy. You know, it's a full contact sport. You know, testosterone is going through the roofs. You know, these are grown men, you know, basically ramming each other, you know, going head on at each other, you know, full force. So, you know, things are going to get a little bowled up a little choppy and you're gonna get a little shoves here and there don't think this was worth an ejection maybe a flag or something along those lines joe what are your thoughts yeah like i said uh since it was after the after the whistle it could have been an unnecessary roughness but it's, it wasn't due for an ejection because i know you could get two un- unnecessary roughnesses i think and uh then you could be ejected and he only he only had that was his only one, and he got ejected for it. So at least, at least the flag. Yes, that'll be okay. It'll be after. It'll be to the field goal or to the kickoff. But it should at least the most extent it should have went to was a flag, not an ejection. And when I think about this too, I, I you know I like to use metaphors to explain situations, and the metaphor I can think of is if you're a parent. And you've told your children that if they push each other into the ground, they're going to be disciplined and they're going to be disciplined harshly. You know what I mean? And let's say they're playing basketball and one of them posts up and knocks the other to the ground based, you know, with, with his butt. You know what I mean? Are you going to discipline your child intensely for pushing the other into the ground? I mean, most people would say no, given the context of the situation, given the fact that, you know, they're playing a sport. It's a contact sport in, in a sense because they're playing one-on-one. And, you know, one of, the, one of them just gets knocked to the ground, maybe because they're younger. And technically, they're pushing, technically, they're pushing, one's pushing the other to the ground. But are you going to, are you going to discipline them harshly for pushing the other to the ground? Like I said, most people would give a no, given the context of the situation. But the referees here are saying that Jackson did what he did, and he deserved to be ejected, and needed to be ejected. And I just... I have a hard time agreeing with that. I feel like you need to take context into, you know, you have to, you have to understand that before you can move forward with such a intense disciplinary um, consequence. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. But like you and I bring up context a lot in these podcasts. And, you know, I think this is, you know, one of those battles of letter of the law versus, you know, what's actually going on. You know, sometimes the letter of the law is written a certain way and, you know, not saying it's right or wrong to judge it on how it's written. But, you know, if you're looking at the game and you're watching it and you see what's going on, then you understand that it maybe doesn't deserve such a harsh crime or a penalty, you know. So it's definitely interesting, you know, I think we're all on board, you know, didn't deserve an ejection. Agreed. We're going to move to a different NFL topic. After week seven, there are certain division leaders that stand out in our eyes as the most threatening to defeat your team and other teams that aren't as threatening. So our crew here will list the division leaders in order of most threatening to least threatening for the AFC and NFC conferences. So with the AFC, we're going to start with George on this one. George, how would you rank each division leader's threat level in the AFC conference. Okay, so out of the four division leaders as of week seven, we're looking at the Chiefs, the Steelers, the Titans, and the Bills. So I'm going to go ahead and rank my most feared to my least feared from the AFC. So the team that I would fear the most is going to be the Chiefs. You know, that high-powered offense, Super Bowl champs, defending uh, Super Bowl champs. Patrick Mahomes could go off any second. You know, they just added Le'Veon Bell. He's still getting, you know, acclimated to the team. So who knows how he fits in later down the road. And even without him, this is an offense that can score at will. So then number two... We got the Steelers. So again, this is another high-octane offense with a veteran quarterback with Big Ben who's won Super Bowls before. And to pair him up with a elite defense, that that's a scary matchup right there. And the reason I put the Chiefs ahead of them is because they are the defending champs and you, you still got to respect them. So number three... You know, we're looking at the Titans, and the Steelers just showed us why they're better than the Titans, although it was a very close game that kind of went down to a missed field goal. So, you know, who who knows if he makes that field goal and we go into overtime, who knows what happens. But he didn't make the field goal. The Steelers won, so they showed us how they're the better team. And then fourth, I have the Bills. And, you know, they, they started a red hot this season, but... They've simmered down a bit. They, they're they not playing how they were. They just won this game in week seven against the Jets with field goals only. Now, they got the win, but this is the Jets we're talking about. And, you know, they, they were only able to get 18 points via field goals. So that that's how I'm going to go ahead and rank this AFC division. So I'm going Chiefs, Steelers, Titans, Bills from most feared to least feared. Joe, what's your list looking like? All right. So, yeah, I have to agree with you with the one and two. The Chiefs, they're looking good. High powered offense and their defense is doing pretty good as well. 
And number two, the Steelers. Big Ben's back. Like how he used to be. He has his he has his favorite weapons. Juju, Claypool, and tight end. And his defense is all as stacked as can be. But for number three, I will choose the Bills. Because at least we know the Bills could actually make their field goals when it counts. Proven today, they made six, six or seven. I don't know how many field goals, field goals they made. And then for four, the Titans, because uh, Goskowski has been iffy this season. This is for, this is his like a, he had his up and downs, and I think he's at a down right now. And as you've seen it from the uh, um, the Steelers game, he missed uh, his field goal, and that's what ultimately cost them their game to tie it up. So here's how I would rank these teams. I would put the Steelers in first. Uh, you, you guys know how I feel about the Steelers. I feel like this is the team to beat. The Chiefs just haven't impressed me at all, especially in the last four games lately, because ever since they played the Ravens, I feel like they've been just an average team. They, that's what they look like, at least. They look like a their offense is not looking as sharp as what what we all what we thought they would look like they're not i mean they haven't been scary these past four weeks they really haven't they've been kind of eh, whatever to me personally and i i'm not scared about that's not threatening to me if if you're in eh, whatever so right now they're in second not far behind is the titans at third the Titans showed today that they can square up with the Steelers. And, you know, Derrick Henry, you're talking about a six foot three monster at running back that can that can out sprint most of your guys on defense. And the guys that he can't out sprint on your defense, he'll just truck through them or stiff arm them. So you're t- you know, this this guy is a difference maker, this this guy. And Joe, you talked about Goskowski. Yeah. That's true. He's been inconsistent this this year. I feel like the the Titans red zone offense has been very prominent this year. They they definitely do a good job of once they get in the red zone, they score a lot of touchdowns. So, for me, I have the Titans at third and I have the Bills at fourth. This isn't a knock on the Bills. They they're playing really well this year. I it's just there's a lot these other three teams, these other three teams are, in my opinion, more threatening than, than the Bills are. And like I said, it's not a knock on them. They're just, these other three teams are, in my opinion, just better. But that's what I would say for AFC. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the only difference really was, at least between me and you, was the one and two spot. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to, it's not something I'm going to argue with you picking the Steelers at one, they are undefeated. And then a a point that nobody else really mentioned was Mike, Mike Tomlin, the coach of that team. So they've been able to, you know, win, but let's give Mike Tomlin some credit here. He has a resume of winning, especially with this organization. He's a great coach that can get this team together but um, yeah. Other than that, not too much different. I know you said you weren't too impressed with the Chiefs, 
besides that Ravens game. But they, I mean, I know it is the Broncos, but they did still score 43 points. It's not like they only scored like 20 points and one. They did score 43 against them. So if that offense could get clicking, I don't see too many teams being able to stop them. So go ahead. Yeah, you're right. And I guess I should have established that when I, when I was talking about the chiefs not performing as well, these past couple, I was more referring to their offense. Uh, Their offense hasn't been performing as well. You, You know, you mentioned they scored 43 points and yes, that is fair. They did score 43 points. Uh, 14 of those 43 were from special teams, which is, which is awesome. Special teams and defense, sorry, which is good. I mean, it shows that it shows that their defense is capable of making big plays and so is their special teams. And you obviously need that. I just feel like the, the Steelers are a more complete team because we all know the hall of famer, Ben Roethlisberger. And I feel like the defense is ranked number one. They have the most sacks in the league at 26. And you mentioned something, George, that I'm going to hundred percent agree with you, dude, Mike Tomlin to think, that people were talking about calling for this guy's job a couple of years ago. And, you know, look at him now. I'm, I guarantee he's laughing at those people's at the thought of those people right now, because this team is six and zero. he's got them winning these close games when it counts. And there's a reason why they have the number one defense. It's it, a large part of it has to do with him. And there's a reason why they have a, they've had a great offense before, uh, you know, they, they had a, top five offense for a long time as well. And it's, you know, a lot of it has to do with him and his head coaching. He is a very disciplined coach. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot of charisma in my opinion. It doesn't really show a lot uh, in interviews and stuff, but if you watch him on the sidelines, he, he wants to win. You can see that fire in him. And that's the kind of coach that you want coaching your team. You want somebody who's, who wants who wants that victory? Who who can you know be be your friend, but also be your coach when it counts? Because we've seen him make the necessary decisions to enforce his team to win games. So it's crazy to think that they were calling for this man's job at one point. Because, like you were saying, George, he is, in my opinion, he's one of the greatest coaches in the league. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were calling for his job when he had, what, a third-string quarterback playing? And now that he's got his guy back, you know, the veteran, the future Hall of Famer, that Super Bowl champion, Big Ben, now that he's back and they're undefeated. Um, yeah, no, that that's crazy. I mean, we're talking about a coach that really doesn't know what losing is like. You know, um, he hasn't been under 500 I think ever. I think last year they were 500. Um, no, yeah, they've never been under 500. And, you know, his all-time record is 138 wins to 74 losses. So, I mean, he's just a great coach on a great organization with some great players on there. And he's got them, you know, going and they're undefeated. And they just beat the Titans who were, you know, prior to playing them, were also undefeated. So they are the top dog right now. But... I still think you got to show some respect to the Super Bowl champs. And, you know, I, I know they're not fire. They might not impress you every week, but when they get it clicking, it's going to be hard to stop them. Yeah. Um, I got something else to say to you, but Joe, did you want to chime in? No, you go ahead, Drew. 
Okay, for sure. So keep in mind too that Mike Tom, we got to remember too, because he's been he's been the coach now for a long time. I don't know exactly how long it is, but he's for sure been there for fourteen years. For fourteen years, okay. So he's been there for fourteen years, and in the 2013-2014 NFL season, he the the Pittsburgh Steelers started out zero four, and he actually banned all games and toy. I don't know what they mean by toys, but they ban- he banned all games and toys from the team locker room. And this is something that I remembered hearing, and I thought, dude, that's a coach. He saw that they were losing. He saw that they needed a jumpstart, a change. And, you know, they did. They got a jumpstart. They got a change. And I don't remember what their record ended up being, but clearly, you know, he has shown us that he can turn a franchise around, even if he hasn't had that great of a start with this franchise, uh, with the franchise in that year. Yeah. So you said they went 0 4 that year? Yeah. They started out 0 4. And you said 2013. Mm-hmm. So that they ended up finishing eight and eight, so a 500 team. But I mean, that just shows that he saw in the locker room that there was distractions. He cut the distractions out, and then that team basically did a 180 flip. Yeah, they went eight and four in their final 12 games. That's pretty pretty good, honestly. Oh yeah. You guys ready to move on to that NFC? Let's do it. All, All right. right. So for the NFC. George, how do you rank each division's threat level in the NFC? So this, not going to lie, this division was a lot harder for than it was for the AFC. And I, th- I feel like in this one, we might have a lot more differences. So at number one, the most threatening for me, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now I'm picking them because... As we know, they just acquired Antonio Brown. So we're looking at a wide receiver group that has Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Godwin. Then you got the soup or the tight end, Gronkowski. Like this offense is gonna be having so many weapons there, they might be unstoppable. Who knows? You know, like if you're a defense. Which wide receiver are you going to try to shut out? Because any of them can be elite. So I got, and then you throw in, you know, Tom Brady, who's won his six championships, who's been known to be the GOAT of quarterbacks. So you you throw all that into the mix, man, like this is going to be a scary team to plan for if you're a defense. So number two, I got the Seahawks. So we're talking about Russell Wilson, who's also got an elite offense paired up with Pete Carroll. You know, Wilson's a former champ. Got him number two. Number three, I got the Green Bay Packers, who, don't get me wrong, I I would fear Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, we've seen him a lot of times. You know, this team gets in the playoffs, and they're just a little short. They just somehow, somehow find a way to be a little short and not make the the Super Bowl. And then at number four, no surprise here, this might be unanimous, don't know, but it's the Eagles. So somehow they're going to win their division, might not even be a 500 team, who knows. And they're going to win their division 
And so that that's the rankings I got. I got Bucks at one, Seahawks at two, Packers at three, Eagles at four. Joe, how do you got this division ranked up? Joe, how do you got this division ranked up? Oh, well, I, I technically I agree with you with the first one. As you know, this offense just acquired Antonio Brown, and this is going to be a pretty even more high-octane um, offense. But And they, they did just handle the Raiders another loss. But that the number two, I – I the Seahawks at the number two spot. They did lose today against the Cardinals, but um, they are still that threat. Like you said, Wilson is a um, was a Super Bowl champ. But um, in the third spot, according to the standings I'm looking at, it has the Bears at one and the Packers at two. They're both tied in the same spot. So I'm just gonna go what I see right now. At the third spot, I'll put the Bears. The Bears are doing pretty good right now after their switch at a quarterback to Nick Foles, and he's been doing a lot better. Their defense is doing pretty good. And like you said, at the fourth spot is a unanimous unanimous decision is the Eagles. So... It's funny, George, that you mentioned that we might be everywhere. And uh, after hearing both of you guys, uh, it's funny because I'm thinking we're actually all in agreement. Um, I would rank the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at one. And I had, I kind of told myself that this would be a lot closer. And I probably would have given the Seattle the edge if they had won today versus Arizona. But they didn't win today versus Arizona. They showed, they showed some weaknesses in their defense. And that's why right now I have Seattle at number two and Tampa Bay at number one. Tampa Bay has a great offense with weapons and a potentially top five defense. They're just an overall more complete team than anybody else in the NFC, which is kind of, you know, scary to think about. And like I said, I have Seattle at number two. That offense is that offense is just high powered. It rolls, it runs, it throws, it does whatever you want it to. I mean, it that offense will that offense will just light you up. So it'll be interesting to see if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Seattle Seahawks meet each other in the postseason, because that would be an interesting matchup, in my opinion, for sure. Next, uh, Joe, you kind of mentioned this. It, it seems like it's a tie between the Bears and the Packers. In my opinion, it doesn't really matter who is the division leader. Uh, you could put the Bears in this spot. You could put the Packers in this spot. I still would rank them at number three. And then you could put anybody. You could put anybody in the NFC East in the fourth spot. And I mean, because we talked, I talked about it actually. How it's act the, the 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 race for the division lead in that in that division is actually competitive, but it's only because they're all just equally trash. Uh, maybe not like equally equally, but like they're all pretty close to each other. And you could put any of those teams in this division. Right now it's the Eagles, but you could put any of those teams here and they're going to be 
number fourth. Really, they should be like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, you know, all the way at the bottom. But <laughs> we only have four rankings. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that that little division right there is sad. You know, they're, they're all – they all can equally fight for that top spot. And what what are the Eagles at right now? What's the um, They're at, I believe, two – Two four four one. and one, two yeah. four and one. I think yeah. And and they're leading their division. That that's kind of sad. <laughs> really sad. They're, I think they're projected to end up being six nine and one. I think it was their projection, and that's going to win their division based off of projections. Yeah, that's that's going to be crazy. Uh, Drew, what are your thoughts on uh, Antonio Brown joining that? You how how do you think their offense is going to shape up? You, Here's what, my, what, where'd you have the Bucks ranked on yours? What was it, one or two? Uh, one, number one. Okay, okay. Here's my thing though. There's already so many weapons on that Tampa Bay offense. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of quote James Harden, you know, when because I know it's a different sport, and I think that's and I think that's why it's significant in this case. You know, when KD signed with the Warriors, he pretty much said, "There's only one ball." Now, in my opinion. That's not a good argument for basketball, but it is a good argument for football. And the reason why it's not a good argument for basketball is because you can pass the ball around as much as you need to in 24 seconds to get a good shot. In football, there's no like passing the ball around in in one play, in a given play. So there's this is why I feel like since there is only one ball, I, I'm not sure if Antonio Brown is going to be happy with the fact that Tom Brady might be more prone to, you know, spreading the ball. Cause we've seen him kind of do that. We've seen him, you know, spread the ball to different receivers on any given day. So like, for example, we've seen him, we've seen him back when he was on the Patriots, we saw him, you know, one, one week he would pa- give a lot of passes to Julian Edelman. And then another week he would give a lot of passes to, James White and you know when Gronk was on the team you know he got a lot of passes too so I mean he he is prone to spreading the ball where he sees fit and that's why I'm not sure how this is going to work considering that there's so many mouths to feed I'm not sure what what to think of it it's it's the the idea on paper is scary but you're talking about theoretical versus practical theoretical theoretically this team is scary Practically, we'd have to see how it plays out. Yeah, I agree with you. This might have to be a topic that we dive in deeper on on a future segment. But uh, I do agree with you, Drew. Well, that's all the time we have for today, everyone. Thank you for joining us here on Highly Contested. We will post a podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So be sure to stay tuned, keep with it, and be prepared to be highly contested. Have a good one. Dummy, 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 dummy